0: Last week, we had a really powerful service, an opportunity for a woman in our congregation and her brother uh, to share their story. It was a messy story, but it's an amazing story of how God was at work in the messiness of life to show his power and his grace and his love. And you know, as I sat here and got to experience the service with you, I'm always amazed at God's timing. That uh, last week, there just seemed to be a number of people for whom that service was specifically designed for them at that very moment that they needed. And I thought, only God can do that. In fact, I talked to a couple of women for whom, uh, randomly, this was their first, last week was their first Sunday at Calvary. Both of whom thought, well, that's my story. And overwhelmed that God would bring them here to get to hear that on that particular Sunday. And I thought to myself, that's an amazing, that's the God that we serve. He's got all of the timing all worked out. And I want you to know it was his timing and not ours. Let me tell you a little bit about how that service last week came to be. Uh, On our staff every year, we get a particular staff member, another staff member, uh, that we're supposed to pray for all year long. And this year, mine was Lou, uh, the woman who shared her story so courageously last week. Well, in June, I told her that I was praying for her, and she said, well, if you're praying for me, you ought to know what's going on. And so she came to my office, and she shared portion of the story that, that we heard last week about how God in the messiness of life was at work in some surprising ways. She said, you know, I feel compelled that I should share this story with others. And I said, okay, well, let's pray together and ask God if that's what you're supposed to do. I think she meant share it with others (laughs) one-on-one. I meant share it in front of everybody. But we prayed together and both of us heard from the Lord. Yeah, she was supposed to share this. And in fact, she was supposed to get up. Scarily enough in front of all of us, and really share the story because it brought such glory to God and hope for those who were going through such similar situations. Well, to her credit, she says, Look, I feel like God's calling me to do this. I'm willing. And so we began to kind of make arrangements and think about it. She says, You know, if I'm going to do it in front of the congregation, I'm going to have to ask my brother uh, if he's available. And so she contacted him and came back and said, there are two Sundays that really he could do it because he would be traveling here uh, from Toronto. And so two dates, October 25th, which was last week, and November 1st, this week. Those were the two possibilities. And so she said, would you pray and ask the Lord which one it's supposed to be? All right. All right. So I began to pray, and I said, Lord, which of those two dates is better? And so I pulled out the preaching schedule, and I kind of read through. And at first glance, neither sermon immediately struck me as being the right Sunday. Uh, But then the more I prayed about it, October 25th just really jumped off the page. What was written up there for the sermon, it just felt like, now wait a minute, that would fit perfectly. To talk about the messiness of life, to be able to have that as a testimony... So I went back to her and said, I think it's supposed to be October 25th. Great. Well, about six weeks ago, I went to our worship planning team and said, hey, uh, we've got this testimony that we want to share on a Sunday morning, and it's not just a two or three minute thing. So we need to be ready and start praying and planning and making arrangement for it. Well, I kind of presented my idea about how we would do it, and there were some questions and some concerns and some pushback. And so while we were there having this discussion, I thought, am I, am I trying to force something that we're not supposed to really do? And so I said, maybe, I'll, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're not supposed to have this testimony. And the worship team was like, no, 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 let's just pray about it. And so we decided we'd take the next week and just simply each of us individually asked the Lord. Well, it was amazing. We got back uh, the next week and each person heard from the Lord the same thing independently. And we all heard, number one, we were supposed to do the testimony, and number two, there needed to be some changes from the way I had first proposed us doing that. While well, this seemed great, it felt like the Lord was in it. Fast forward now to two weeks before last week, so what is that, three weeks ago, another roadblock came up. I was away, I was not in the office, I got a call from Tom, he's like, look, we got this issue. Now it was on our side, and I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me, like... We've worked so hard to get this already. It was a roadblock. I wasn't in the office to kind of work on it and work through it. So I just made the call. Okay, fine. Let's just cancel. We just can't get, we can't quite get this to work. I was like, Tom, you need to apologize to Lou because this is not her fault. This is our fault. And so uh, Tom's like, well, we should pray about this. And I'm like, all right, well, you contact her and I'll pray. So I'm praying because I'm like, Lord, come on. He calls me back 10 minutes later. He's like, nope, it's supposed to be October 25th. I was like, how do you know? He's like, well, I went to her and I said, we're going to have to try to move this. And she was disappointed, Uh, disappointed, but she said, I'm willing to do whatever the church tells me to do. I'm just trying to be obedient. She was disappointed because she had a whole bunch of family who were all scheduled to come that day and had already made their travel plans. And she was most disappointed because she has a daughter and son-in-law who live in Minnesota. She really wanted them to come and be here for the testimony. They weren't going to be able to, at least at first glance, because uh, the son-in-law is a resident and didn't have a weekend off to be able to come. Well, miraculously, he just happened to be assigned one weekend off. I don't know if it's for the year, for a number of months, whatever it was. And it just happened to be October 25th. She had just been celebrating that they were going to be there when Tom showed up to say, we're not doing it. Well, he calls me and he's like, no, it's supposed to be October 25th. So I'm like, all right, thank you, Lord. Thank you for answering. Then two weeks ago, I sat right here in the third row because Marvin was up here preaching. And we told Marvin, you know, we trust Marvin, like preach on whatever the Lord leads you. Just pray, preach on whatever God brings to mind. Well, I'm sitting here in the congregation and I'm listening to Marvin preach on shame and Amnon and Tamar, the one passage in the Bible that's really the best preparation for what's going to be happening the next week. I'm dumbfounded. How in the world out of all the passages in the Bible, Marvin, could you have picked this one? Only God could do that. I say that just to make sure that you understand that everything that happened here last week had nothing to do with us. I tried to stop it, but God continued to move it forward and everything that transpired happened in accordance with his plan. I also say it to you in a lot of detail to try to explain to you that what we did, what Marvin did to ask God what to preach on, what we did to ask about this testimony, what the worship planning team did, what Lou did, what all these people did is what the Bible refers to as inquiring of God. We asked God, what are we supposed to do? And that, by the way, is the thing that Joshua and the Israelites failed to do In Joshua chapter 9. And so this morning we want to go back to the story in Joshua chapter 9. Not so much to talk again about the messiness of life. But to go back and pick up this idea about inquiring of God. So please take a Bible. Turn to Joshua chapter 9. It's page 176 in the Bibles that the church provides. There's one in the rack in front of you or under your seat. Joshua chapter 9, while you're turning, let me tell you the story again, and then we're going to focus on one verse in the passage. The story is the children of Israel are entering into the promised land that God has given them, and they're moving throughout the land, conquering the areas that God wants them to conquer. Where well, there are a people group who live in the promised land known as the Gibeonites, we got a map up here. You can see where Gibeon is, down there below Bethel and Ai. Gibeonites very much live in the promised land. They, however, want to make a treaty with the Israelites, and although they fear God, they don't fear him enough to actually trust his mercy. And so when they come to Joshua and the Israelites, they lie. They say, no, 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 we're not your neighbors. We came from far away. We're not any part of this promised land. We live a long way from here. And in order to prove that they lived a long way away, the leaders of the Gibeonites say to the envoy that's going to Joshua, hey, make sure you wear really old clothes Make sure you have really worn out sandals. Leave the bread you would take with you out until it's really moldy. Make sure that the wineskins that you're carrying your wine in are old and cracked so that when they show up and Joshua says, hey, now wait a second. How do we know that you're not our neighbors? Because we don't want to make a treaty with our neighbors. The people of Gibeon say, no, 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 we're not your neighbors. Look at the bread. Look at our... Look at our shoes. Look at our clothes. We've traveled from a long way away. If we lived near you, our bread wouldn't be moldy. Our shoes wouldn't be worn out. Our clothes wouldn't be worn thin. And we pick up the verse we want to focus on today. Verse 14 of Joshua 9. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire Of the Lord. The Israelites sampled their provisions, meaning they looked at the bread and they looked at the wineskin and they examined the shoes, and these were indeed the sandals and the wineskins and the bread of people who would have come from a long distance away. But they did not inquire of the Lord, they didn't ask God. Now, if that last phrase, they did not inquire of the Lord, sounds negative, it's because it is. <laughs> Throughout the scriptures, God complains when his people do not seek guidance from him. For example, 1, Corinthians, or sorry, 1 Chronicles 10, verses 13 and 14. This is about King Saul. It says, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance, meaning he disobeyed God's written word. But more than that, he did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. Not only did Saul disobey the written word of God, as was his regular practice, he failed to ask God for guidance and advice and how he might rule as king of Israel. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. This is God speaking. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? God saying here to the people of Israel, Why are you going to talk to all these witch uh, witch doctors? Why are you trying to do tarot card readings? Why are you trying to consult for advice all these things that belong to the realm of the dead? Come ask me. This is my job. Shouldn't you be consulting me? The complaint continues in Isaiah 30, verses 1 and 2. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem, on those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him unless you think this is only an Old Testament complaint, James chapter four. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city and make money. Why you do not even know what's gonna happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. Now, James is not talking about every time we make our plans, we need to add the phrase Lord willing at the end of them. What he's talking about is the same thing that's being complained about throughout the Old Testament is God's people making plans without consulting God. It's the very issue that's at stake in Joshua chapter nine. And the issue here is God is not complaining about his people breaking rules He's not talking about them murdering. He's not talking about them lying. He's not talking about them stealing. Of course, that's bad. That's just not what's on the docket right now. In Joshua chapter 9, the issue is not Achan's sin. It's not someone stealing from the Lord. There's nothing morally wrong with making a treaty with someone. The problem was, is that the Israelites examined the evidence but they failed to ask God's opinion. They failed to ask God, is this a good idea? They failed to ask God, is this what you want us to do? And Joshua's 9's point is, they should have. They should have asked the Lord. They should have inquired of God. Why didn't they? Same reason we don't, because we don't think we need to. You see, when they're getting ready to cross the Jordan, well, the Jordan is big. I mean, there's a flood stage. How in the world are we going to get all these people across? They don't know how to do that, so they ask God. When they get to Jericho, the walls are so high. How in the world will we conquer this city? They don't know, so they ask God. The problem here is, here we've got a decision we know how to make. This is a decision where you just examine the evidence and you can hear their brains thinking. You can hear them saying, well, yeah, look, look at the data. Look at the moldy bread. Look at the cracked wineskins. Aren't we supposed to use the brains God gave us? Why would we inquire of God? This isn't like Jericho. This isn't like the Jordan. This is something we know how to handle. Finally, something we can handle on our own. Shouldn't we use the wisdom God gave us? Shouldn't we use the brains that God gave us to make this decision? How do I know that's what they were thinking? Well, that's what we think. (laughs) When we come up against something where we have no idea what to do, we pray and ask God for help. But there's lots of decisions where we've got lots of data in front of us and we think, well, why would I ask God for help? I've got the data. I just need to make a wise decision. I just need to examine the evidence. And make what would be a good, solid, wise decision. But the problem is, how do you know if you're being lied to? I mean, the Gibeonites examined the They went over the data. But there's no way to account for the fact that the data was falsified. There's no way to account for the fact that they are intentionally being deceived. And how many of us, perhaps in a dating relationship, or when we were applying for being told about a job that would be perfect for us, or when we're hiring somebody that we think would be wonderful, find out after the fact that not all the information was presented as clearly and as fairly and as accurately as it could have been. How many of us have signed on to buy a house only to find that the house didn't exactly turn out the way we were sold? or ended up purchasing a car in which we found out, well, wait a minute, I'm not sure that salesman told me all this stuff. How many of us have been in a situation where we were in a business transaction or a deal, we go to visit a college and the college presents themselves with all of these wonderful programs and then you get there and you find out, wait a minute, this isn't what I was told on my college visit. How do you account for the fact that there are people in this world who might consciously deceive you and I and falsify evidence. More than that, how do we account for the fact that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Even when we're not intentionally being deceived, God says, don't do what the Israelites in Joshua 9 did which was to lean on their own wisdom they're like look we've got evidence we got moldy bread we've got broken wineskins we've got threadbare clothes of course they ca- they came from a far way away God's saying that's the thing I'm telling you not to do don't rely on your own ability to examine the evidence and make a good sound fundamental decision Instead, God's saying, ask me, ask me, I'll tell you. I know the Gibeonites are lying to you. I know when you're being deceived. I know when the deception is unintentional and you don't even know that it's happening. Ask me, I'll tell you, this is what I do. Shouldn't a people inquire of their God? That's what I'm here for. I'm here to guide you. I'm here to bless you. I'm here to direct you. So the question is, how do you and I put this passage into practice today? Well, let's try to think of some situations that are rather analogous to what you have in Joshua 9. In Joshua 9, you have a situation where two parties, two groups of people, are forming a relationship together, and one party is not being exactly perfectly honest about their intentions or their background or their history in this relationship? What might be a modern-day example of that? Well, how about getting married? When you get married, you can often go through a dating process whereby you are examining the evidence to try to determine, is this person going to be a good fit for me? But how do you know that you're not intentionally or unintentionally being deceived? How do you know that the person who is presenting themselves to you in the dating relationship, that that's genuinely who they are? I do know that many people on the other side of marriage have realized, wait a second, I'm not sure that I got all this information before I signed on. Now, as a side note, even though the Gibeonites intentionally lied to the Israelites, the covenant is binding. Even if you find out that in the dating process you were lied to, if you got married, you are married. But the point is, as if right now you're trying to make that decision, why not ask God? Why not ask him? I mean, after all, there's this great example in Genesis 24 that Joshua would have been really familiar with. Abraham needs to find a wife for his son, Isaac, and so he gives the job to his servant. Well, that's a pretty big job. His servant decides instead of interviewing a whole bunch of different women or going online and reading through all their profiles, he decides instead to pray. And Genesis 24 says, Then he, the servant, prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, Make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master." Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. What about the example of hiring an employee? Maybe possible that your company, you're responsible for hiring somebody into your department, or you need someone to come and work at your business. Is it not possible that the person you're interviewing may be lying on their resume? Is it not possible that the person may be unintentionally not presenting themselves so that after you hire the person, you think, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't the person I saw in the interview. This isn't what I was... In. Is it not possible that when you and I choose to hire someone that we might actually be deceived? Well, why not ask God? Why not ask God, is this the right person at the right time for this position? Now, it's not a perfect analogy, but in Luke chapter 6, Jesus has to choose 12 of his disciples to be apostles. Instead of collecting resumes or conducting interviews with all the various disciples, what does Jesus do? It says one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them who he also designated apostles. What's Jesus doing? He's inquiring of the Father. Who are you choosing? Interesting side note. One of the 12 that God the Father chooses is Judas, who's going to betray Jesus, which means that just because you inquire of God doesn't mean everything goes smoothly. It just simply means everything goes according to the way God wants it to go. What about the situation about where to live? Which house to buy? What apartment to rent? Whether you're supposed to move to another city. Is it not possible when someone is trying to talk you into renting an apartment or someone is trying to purchase a house that you might be deceived either intentionally or unintentionally? Why not ask God? Second Samuel chapter two, David's got to figure out where am I supposed to live? It says, in the course of time, David inquired of the Lord. What's he asking him? Lord, where am I supposed to live? Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked. The Lord said, yes, go up. David asked, where? Where am I supposed to move? To Hebron, the Lord answered. There were lots of towns David could have lived in. He didn't go through and examine all of the towns. He said, Lord, which one are you telling me to live in? What about the modern day example of having to choose a leader, maybe for your small group or for a Bible study that you're a part of, or choosing someone to be a replacement after someone moves uh, away to another town or, or quits the position. Acts chapter one, it says that the uh, 11 apostles are looking for a replacement for Judas. It says they prayed, Lord, you know, everyone's heart. Show us which of the, these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry with Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. The 11 have narrowed down the search to two people, two men who are qualified to be the 12th apostle. At this point, they do what Joshua should have done in Joshua chapter nine is they say, Lord You know stuff that's going on in people's hearts. How in the world would we ever know that? And so they cast lots. And God said, I choose Matthias. Now, the examples could go on and on. Choosing a college. It's possible to simply go on a college visit, take all of the information, and make your decision based on the data that the people at the college are presenting to you. But it's possible you might end up being deceived. Either intentionally or unintentionally. Why not ask God? It's possible with a business decision that you're faced with that you can examine all of the data, you can have your lawyer look it all through, but it's possible you might end up deceived either intentionally or unintentionally. Why not ask God? It's possible when someone says, Hey, look, I'd like to be friends with you or I'd like to be your mentor it's possible that you might not get a very clear picture of what's really going on in that person's heart. Why not ask God? That's the point of Joshua chapter 9. God says, look, I love you. I want to guide you. I want to help you. I don't want to leave you on your own. This world is full of deception, whether it's intentional deception from others, unintentional deception, or self-deception. God says the only way to get through all of that is let me guide you and lead you. But that raises the question, how? Well, of course, pray and ask God. But what the how question really means is, how do I know when he's answering? That is a more complicated question. And I don't have time to give you the full answer. But let me say three things related to that issue. First, God answers in a variety of different ways, and I've already illustrated for you this morning some of those different ways. For example, in the testimony last week, I said when we had to pick what Sunday it was going to be, I prayed and asked the Lord, and when I sat down with the two sermon write-ups for these two weeks, I just simply felt a peace when I looked at the one for October 25th. God sometimes talks through giving us peace in our heart. I also told you when we were confused, our worship planning team all went off and independently asked the Lord. When we came back and each one of us had heard the same thing, that's another way that God talks to us is when people are praying independently and each hear the same thing from the Lord, the Lord can be in it. I also told you that when we read the circumstances that Lou's daughter and son-in-law had one weekend off the whole year and that Marvin came the week before and preached the perfect lead-in sermon. We read the circumstances, and through those circumstances, God was answering our inquiry. For Abraham's servant, he asked for a sign. Lord, if she's the one, let this and this happen. And when this and this happened, he knew God was answering his request. Jesus, it was during a time of prayer. I don't know exactly what happened with Jesus, but I do know for me when I'm praying, sometimes while you're praying, you just have thoughts pop in your mind or you just have a sense or a feeling that's an answer to the inquiry. Jesus got from the Father. These are the 12. In the apostles' case, they cast lots. They were faced with two choices. And they said, we want to take this choice out of our hands and put it in your hands. And so they cast lots. So the first thing to say about how do you know when God is responding he responds in lots of different ways and some of those were illustrated for you this morning. But the second thing to say about that is if I had to pick just one way to encourage you to hear from the Lord, given the book of the Bible that we're in, I would say it's this, meditating on God's word. God says meditate on my word day and night then you'll be prosperous and successful. And because Joshua chapter 9 is in a book of the Bible which encourages us to meditate on God's word, you need to understand that one of, if not the primary way that God answers our requests for guidance is through his word. And when you take a passage of scripture and you read it, you meditate on it, you think about it, God has this crazy way of using it to speak to you. The third thing to say, and this is the most important. How do I know when God is talking to me? Don't worry about it. The great thing about Joshua 9, this passage is not about how to hear if God is talking. This passage is about ask him, which means the burden is on God, not on us. Our job to obey Joshua 9 is simply to ask. His job is to respond. And the burden is on his shoulders to make sure that he responds in such a way that we know he's the one doing the talking. So the great thing is, is look, we can get all twisted up and all worried, but how will I know? I couldn't tell you if I wanted to. But Joshua and God are not asking for that this morning. What they're asking for is just ask. Just ask and see what happens. So here's our assignment for every one of us. I want you to pick one decision that you are currently having to make. Whether you're supposed to go out for the school play, whether you're supposed to retire this next year, whether you're supposed to move, whatever, just one, not 10 decisions, just one decision. And I want you to inquire of God about it. Most likely that decision will be one that you hadn't thought to inquire about previously before this morning. Maybe you thought, but I got all the data. I lined up all the numbers. I've done the budget. I interviewed the people. I accept one of those decisions that you haven't made yet. And I want you to take it. And here's the assignment every day this week. Simply ask the Lord, Lord, am I being deceived? Lord, am I reading the data wrong? Lord, am I hearing your voice? Lord, is this what you want me to do? I'm not saying praying about it for the next 20 years. One decision every day this week, and just simply ask the Lord. Remember, our job is to ask. Once we've done that, we've been obedient. His job is to respond. And so whatever decision, probably the one that's coming to mind right now while I'm talking, or the one that will come to mind when you... Reflect back on this sermon. Take that decision. And say, Lord. I want to know what you think about this. We began the morning with baptism. Baptism is an affirmation that we belong to the Lord. And that he belongs to us. And the point is. If we're following Christ and Christ alone. Should we not consult him. For the decisions we have to make. God says, shouldn't a people consult their God? Shouldn't the sheep ask the shepherd where the green pastures are? And will not God, when his people ask him, respond and lead us to things that we never would have come up with on our own? Protect us from things we had no idea were coming for us and lead us in the way everlasting. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for being the good shepherd who leads and guides your people, who, recognize, who makes your voice recognizable. Lord, publicly I have declared, God, what I thought you wanted me to tell them, which is it's just simply their job to ask. It's your job to respond. And so, Lord, I've done that. And so no, now, Lord, I'm asking. God, there's lots of reasons uh, why this might not go well. But I'm asking in your mercy and grace for each person who resolves to obey today, Lord, I'm praying that in the next seven days you respond. God, I'm not going to tell you how to respond. I'm not going to ask it to be in one way or the other. Lord, I trust you. I trust you that you can make your will known if only you have people who are willing to listen. And so God, I'm sure each one of us will in some way ask inappropriately or do something not quite right. Lord, I ask in your mercy and grace, I know you'll just overlook that. Please answer, Lord. Please show us that it is good to inquire of you. God, and please show us the blessings that you have waiting for us. God, it's not an accident that this week you're telling us to come and ask you. There are decisions that are going to be made by people in this congregation that you're wanting us to ask you about first. Please, Lord. Would you lead us and guide us in them? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.